Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. Grab your shofars, we have a quick blast, and we'll go, by the way, so uh, we're going through all, as we did last year, each of seven trumpets, we have the opportunity to blast your shofars, eat multiple times as you brought them, uh, for, as we go through this again, but uh, to start out, we get the chance to blast our horns full wit. so you grab your horn together, and we'll say our blasting, ready? <laughs> All right. So we have uh, a few things to rattle off to you. So first of all, uh, when it comes to uh, uh, for trumpets, uh, obviously those of you who've been here for years know know the routine. This is nothing new or abnormal. You've you've been this multiple, multiple times. It's pretty straightforward stuff, right? So uh, as I'm not going to go through every scripture because it's it's not um, uh, uh, time effective to go through each one of them as far as when we can get everything completed, but we'll get there. Uh, so first of all. Uh, Obviously, the commandment is Leviticus 23, which is where, it, where a lot of these uh, instructions come from for trumpets. It's very, very short and brief. I'll read it off to you. 23 is verse 23. It says, uh, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, the first day of the month, you shall have a Shabbat rest, a memorial of blowing trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work upon it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to Jehovah. Now, of course, that's the instructions. It's very, very limited, obviously. It just says, you know, you'll make a big blasting trumpet thing uh, on that particular day. And, of course, Numbers 10 discuss the details of the trumpets themselves. As far as, as, as God did so, he, he made things a little bit here, a little bit there throughout, the, throughout their Bibles. So we have the two silver trumpets, which we do not have today, of course. We're doing shofars, which is fine. Uh, the two silver trumpets I was, was uh, created by hand uh, the priests would use for various services as well as for commandments to come come forward or gather people together, things of that nature. So Numbers 10, uh, verse 1 through 10 is where the silver trumpets are are discussed as well as uh, how they are used. So of course it says, uh, uh, Numbers 10, verse 10 says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, sorry, verse 1 of Numbers 10, The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Make two silver trumpets uh, for yourselves. You shall make them of hammered work, and you shall use them for calling the assembly and for directing the movement of the camps. When they blow both of them, all the assembly shall gather together for you at the door of the tabernacle meeting. Uh, that means a long blast blowing, that, by the way. If they blow only one, then the leaders, the heads, the divisions of Israel shall gather to get together. When you sound the advance, which is a short blast, uh, the camps that lie on the east side shall then be in their journey. When you sound the advance again the second time, short blasts, the camps on the lie on the south side shall begin their journey. They shall sound the call for them to begin their journeyings. And the congregation is to be gathered together, and you shall blow long blasts, but not sound advanced short blasts. The sons of Aaron and the priests shall blow the trumpets, and these shall be to you as an ordinance forever throughout your generations. And when you go to war in your land against the enemy who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets, and you will be remembered before Jehovah your God, and you will be saved from your enemies." 
Also the day of your gladness, and your appointed feast, at the beginning of your month, so you shall blow the trumpets for over your burnt offerings, over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, and they shall be a memorial for you before your God. I am Jehovah, your God. Now, of course, we've discussed trumpets many times in the past, and we know full well that the intent or the, 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 the uh, symbolism behind them is the prophet. Uh, the trumpets themselves are, are, are a symbol of a prophet, more specifically of a warning for a prophet. So all, all the shofars, which, mind you, this is where we get the philosophy, or the idea, the Jewish philosophy that uh, 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 the animal, the, the ram horn, the ram specifically, is the individual representative when you offer animal offerings. The ram, when it, it, it's offered occasion on specific events, is representative of the prophet or a prophet that God has spoken to you. But uh, the, the, the more explicit uh, example given to us from Ezekiel, so to understand that the, when, when, when we hear a trumpet of God, we're hearing God's voice, him saying something, come to me or go do something. So it's a voice of God. What's a prophet's job to do? Either call you to God or tell you to go do something. It's a prophet's job, since we get that, that philosophy. And of course, Ezekiel 3 gives it a little bit more explicit before we go into our, our, our a deeper study. Ezekiel 3, of course, jumping down to verse 16, is his instruction. It came to pass the end of seven days. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, I have made you a watchman to the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. Mind what's a watchman supposed to do? To warn. What tool they use to warn with? They use a shofars to warn with. And when, they, when they're watching out for a, an army that's going to take, attack a city. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. So if a watchman or a prophet fails to instruct, fails to give the example, or to teach or to warning, then the iniquity, the, the blood, the, the guilt of his death is the prophet's, not the man's own personal iniquity. Yet if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Verse 20. Again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and, lay, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because you did not give him warning, he shall die in his sin. And his righteousness, which he has done, shall not be remembered, but his blood will require at your hand. Again, because you failed to give warning. Nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man, the righteous should not sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning. Also, you will have delivered your soul. So the nature of the watchman or the one who gives the warning, which is a shofar, the, the warning warning giver, uh, is is de- designed to uh, to give the message of warning or give the message to, to repent from your ways or change direction. Let's see. Then it says, uh, "Do we read that part?" Uh, it is to, so. If someone receives a warning and they fail to adhere to it, fail to follow the warning. Oh yes, uh, Jeff. One of the things that's often brought up by people who <clears throat> will pass on these prophetic words that they think they've received is they'll say, just from this passage, well, if I failed to give the message and uh, Something bad happens. thought I heard a word of the Lord on my head, so I'm just doing the job. Right. So I thought I heard a word of the Lord, so I have to bring it forward. And that's an interesting conundrum. So, it's good you put that. There are many, um, what do you call, self-proclaimed prophets, or people who were not, 
But then all of a sudden they felt this impelling, this, this, this impulse, not impelling, this impulse to, to do, they had some dream or some vision to, hey guys, I've never done this before, but here, here's what I have. And, and they start, and they, and they create it. And they, they tell you what it is. And yeah, it could be something they ate the night before. I don't know. Dreams happen. There's odd things occur. Uh, and that does happen occasionally. So we have the warning from Deuteronomy, as far as Moses, who has specified that when you have, when someone comes and, and speaks presumptuously, which means a word which I did not speak or give to them to speak, then do not listen to them. If it comes to pass, it may come to pass, but you just watch and observe. If it does come to pass, he or she may be from God, or God may be testing you. The testing you is, does the individual advocate following a different God than what Moses taught you to follow? So if you have these two filters, one, is does it come to pass? Is it true? And number two, are they teaching you to follow something different than what Moses taught us to follow? If they fail either of those two passes, then that person is not a prophet. They spoke presumptuously on their own behalf or their own viewpoint. Now, I do admit there are some instances, for example, which is commonly used, Balaam, as, as called the Gentile prophet or the prophet for the Gentiles, that he was one that was, he spoke God's words to people who were not Israelites. He was not sent to the Israelites, he was sent to the Gentiles. Apostle Paul was also sent to the Gentiles. So, when you have a specific audience, you must use that audience's language and understanding to communicate with them. In particular, if you're sent to them, then that's your job. But that means those who are not the receivers of that message don't take it as if it was for you. It's not that our God is inconsistent. It's that some people are at different locations in their walk than you are. You might be further along or further behind. So the message to them may be different than the message to you, depending on what God happens to be trying to say or what the message he wishes to give. God does not talk to every person the same time, the same way, all the time. Some of us are at different locations in our walk. So there are some variations. There's some grace we give to people who are saying, hey, I got this message. I don't know if it's real or not, but I'm sending it to you anyway, just in case. We don't know what it is. But the point is, keep that in mind that it may be real, may be totally fake. Don't thrust your opinion on it. Or sorry, don't uh, put your trust on it because it may be completely opened up. You have no idea until you wait, watch, and observe. If it comes to pass, it may be from God. But if it comes to pass, the person was advocating against God just because it came to pass does not mean that it is a legitimate message from God. It could just mean the person guessed right. Because I'll be honest with you, some of us can guess right. Some can guess wrong, but some can guess right. And a guess doesn't mean it's profit. It just means you guessed. So anyway, just keep that in mind. But it is a, a legitimate question that people bring up occasionally as far as what's going on. Uh, and, and there's also the problems or difficulties of when God's speaking to you, you don't realize he's talking to you. A message given by a particular prophet, you don't realize it's to you to hear as opposed to to him or to her over there. It might be specifically to you. So we have to watch those as well. The idea is that if you are continuously walking with your God, can you listen to your God, you will filter out because you'll find out what's to you and what's not to you. I do my best, as many of you do as well, to pay attention to as many messages God gives to anybody and take it all and set it aside as a possibility. Just keep them, keep them in your back burner because regardless of the message itself, my life doesn't change. I don't know about you, but it doesn't. My life is based on what Moses instructed me how to live and my trust in Messiah. It doesn't change. That's a fixed thing. So regardless of the message, regardless of the warning, regardless of whatever it is, 
as long as I live my life accordingly, what God instructed me to do with Moses, and I trust my, my Messiah to, to correct or take care of the errors that I make, I have nothing to fear. So I don't change anything. My, my life stays consistent, regardless of the message of a prophet. But I do watch prophets as best I can as far as listening to them, if, if there are any to, 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 to have, because they may have messages of, of warning of be prepared and not be dismayed when strange things happen throughout the world around me, as many of us seem to observe on a regular basis in our, in, in our world. So, anyway, so let's move forward a little bit beyond that. So if, 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 however, I choose to ignore the warning, a warning that I am deviating from righteousness, somebody say, hey, you've, you've deviated from what was right and I don't correct my path, then I know that God is, is, is that I, however, am at fault. So I had to watch my path and make sure I was rechecking against Moses' instructions on how to live. And yes, like all men, I make mistakes. Everybody else does. But the point is, when you make mistakes, you spot them, you correct them, move on. Let's see here. Uh, okay. So it, it, now let's move a little bit forward here. So we know the Feast of Trumpets, of course, is based on the principle of trumpets. And the principle of trumpets, of course, we get from our Torah as far as it is the, the voice of God or the sound of God's voice. Which, of course, obviously the prophets and such talk about uh, uh, in, in different, differing ways. So we have our, our instructions as far as what trumpets are for, as far as from, uh, from Moses. We have, obviously, the events and the days of trumpets. So trumpets has been and will be probably always discussed and talked about in the context of the end times. I discussed that. It, it's uh, the, the idea because the reason is it's talked in the context of the end times is the fact that the book of Revelation is smack dab covered with trumpets all over the place. When Revelation is covered with trumpets, Revelation discusses the, 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 the end time events, we associate trumpets with Revelation or toward the end of the book of, of, our, of our instructions of life and toward the end of the days. And the prophets, however, in your, in your uh, Tanakh, they don't use the term end of days in that way. They use the term day of the Lord. So we're discussing day of the Lord, which is, which is very common in your Tanakh. The prophet says the day of the Lord is, is about upon us or day of the Lord or the Lord's day is referring to, most the day of the Lord, is referring to the end times or these trumpet events or in some cases the bold judgments, depending on what, what, what area they're discussing. Most of the prophets focus on trumpets, not the bold judgments, but they still discuss them a little in brief. So in the case of trumpets, uh, go to Revelation chapter 1, verse 9 and 11. This is the discussion as far as uh, when the, the voice and the discussing of the trumpets and the day of the two uh, two being associated. So this is the the revelation or the discussion that God gave to uh, to John toward the tail end of his life uh, on his, well, yeah, which he wrote down. So this, of course, the Feast of Trumpets discusses this topic. is Revelation 1, starting in verse 9, says, I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and the patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos, of the word of the Lord, for the testimony of Jesus, of Jesus the Christ. I was in the spirit of the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and what you see, write in the book, and I sent it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, Smyrna, per- Pergamos, uh, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And of course, you turn to see, see whose voice that spoke to me, and having turned, I saw the seven golden lampstands, and the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, Angered about the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were white like the wool, his white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. 
His feet were like fine brass, as refined in a furnace, and his voice the sound of many waters. He had his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth with a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. My son fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Do not be afraid, I am the first, I am the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys to Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars, the seven angels, the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches themselves. I'm going to stop there. So in this particular instance, we have Messiah obviously talking to John, discussing, uh, discussing in this the day of the Lord, the Lord's day, when it's his voice as the trumpet. Whereas I mentioned before, the day of the Lord and Lord's day are both synonymous in, in as far as how the Greek rearranges the words. Not not the same words themselves, but they are they are they rearrange one way or the other as far as what one belongs, what's in front, what's in back. It doesn't make any difference to Greek. In any case, in this case, the day of the Lord is associated with trumpets, which implies strongly the feast of trumpets for the for the for, for the particular day. So he most likely was on the seventh day of the first first uh, sorry first day of the seventh month when this took place. Whatever year it was, I do not know. I'm not going to go through all this. It's rather extensive. I'm not going to go through the seals of the, the lions and, the, and, and, and the, the, the horses and such. The seals, not that there's anything wrong with them, but they're not things where we're talking today. That we're not focusing my attention upon the seals today. Because uh, it's, it's not the feast of seals. This is the feast of trumpets. Uh, so the feast of seals are the things that lead up to and be, approach the trumpets. Uh, as far as the, the voice of God, this is the feast of the trumpets itself. So we're discussing those today. We discussed this last year. We're discussing just basically the same thing, but uh, a little a little more detailed, not not extensively. As far as what we're discussing again this year, so jump forward in our book of Revelation to the first trumpet. The first trumpets. So those of you who have your trumpets, we get to blast the trumpets. For we have blast the trumpet each time we reach each time we reach a new uh, a new uh, 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 a trumpet. So we, this will be in uh, Revelation chapter eight. Uh, the first trumpet, of course, pops up in verse six. But before we begin this, so trumpet number one. Uh, all you blast your shofars as you have them. If you don't, well, make a joyful noise. All right. All right. Thank you much. That was so. That was that's for our first trumpet. Our first honorary trumpet. Trumpet number one. This reads as far as the, the scripture here says. So the seven angels who are the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded the hail fi- and fire fall mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And the third of the trees are burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Now, as we're discussing trumpets, discuss okay. Well, what on earth does that mean? So just because some event happens, it doesn't mean it makes any sense to us. So whenever we're discussing any particular event in the, in the Bible, in particular toward the end, it's very easy. But toward the beginning, it's still just just simple. If you just look at the uh, in reverse, when you've seen something, I've read this before, heard this before, go back and figure out where did you hear this before. So in this case, hail and fire mixed together. Where and when did you ever hear that? Never heard before, right? It's never been occurred in the history of, of our Bibles, right? Of course it has. When did it last occur? Well, as you recall, it occurred when the hail and fire mixed the seventh plague. Right when the, the 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 seventh plague going back to Exodus chapter nine, and it, let's see, I can read that real quick. It's just uh, just a few verse few verses there. Exodus nine discusses the the hail mixed with fire. So when 
when Revelation discusses a particular thing, is it, well, go back and figure out what was that thing about? So Exodus chapter 9, this is the, the, whole, the whole portion goes through the seventh plague, which is 13 through verse 35. I won't be covering all of it, I'm just covering certain aspects of it. This particular plague of the hail mixed with fire happens to be a particular response that the, that the uh, Pharaoh produced. Or more, more accurately, the warning he received, not that he produced, but the warning he received. So the purpose of the seventh plague listed in Exodus 9, it's listed here. The reason for it's given is verse 14. It says, this is, uh, this is uh, 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 Moses, sorry, this is God relaying to Moses what he wishes Moses to say. This is God's interpretation of the plague number seven. So in his viewpoint, plague seven means this. At this time, I will send all my plagues to your very heart and on your servants, on your people, that you may know there is none like me in all the earth. Pause there. So in God's viewpoint, plague number seven is to target your heart. That is the goal. So the destructions upon you and your servants is your heart. What is the heart of Pharaoh? The heart of Pharaoh is power. Pharaoh always wants power because what do kings? King is only king if there's a servant. Imagine you're a king and you have zero people beneath you. What are you a king of? Yourself? <laughs> There's no one going to obey you and no one's going to listen to you. No one's going to obey anything you do. You're not a king of anything, are you? So if there aren't people to follow your kingliness, you're not a very good king. You're not, you're, you don't king anything. So Pharaoh's heart is his power, his throne, which is his power of kingliness. So in this case, trumpet for number one correlates to hail, oh, sorry, plague number seven, is it to target the heart of these men. It says, it says mingled with blood, but of course mingling with blood is not commonly discussed as far as the Torah is concerned, except of course in the in, in the ends to kill or destroy in the form of death as far as because life is in the blood so it's mingled with blood so it's designed to kill or destroy they're thrown to the earth and a third of the trees are burned up in all the green grass now we speak okay what does this mean well green grass is defined sorry Jehovah defines green grass and what as far as what it means to him and green grass is listed in a description of is in Isaiah 37 so Isaiah 37 de- defines what God says, green grass, the symbol of it, green grass, means this. So Isaiah 37, starting out in verse 21. Uh, yes. Actually, more specifically, it's in verse 27. But the, 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 par- the, the section here is addressing uh, to, from Hezekiah, God's addressing him as far as what, uh, what to not worry about Sennacherib. It says, uh, we'll jump down to, starting at verse 21. Isaiah the son of Amos said, uh, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. This is concerning Sennacherib. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised you, laughed you to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind your back. So basically he's telling the, this message to Sennacherib that you're being humiliated or, 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 or despised. Whom have you reproached and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes on high? Against the Holy One of Israel. So he's addressed pointing to Sacrab. You, you, you are making fun of God, not the Jews, which you were trying to make fun of. You're making fun of God, God himself. By your servant you have reproached the Lord and said, By the multitudes of my chariots I have come up to the height of the mountains, to the limits of, of Lebanon. I will cut down its tall cedars, its choice cypress trees. I will enter its furthest height to its fruit, fruitful for, forest. I have dug and drunk water with my soles of my feet. I have dr- 
I have dried up all the brooks of defense. But did you not hear long ago how I made it? From ancient times, I formed it. Now I have brought it to pass that you should be for crushing and fortified cities into heaps of ruin. Therefore, the inhabitants had little power against you, for they were dismayed and confounded, as they were as the grass, the field, as the green herb, the grass, the house tops, as the grain blighted before it is grown. Hint, stop there for a minute. So God is pointing out green grass is what, that which fades quickly and is confounded. So it has no power. They are, they are of no heart, no strength, no enduringness. So when we go, our trumpet number one, when it says burns up the green grass, he burns up those who have no strength of it to endure, no power behind them, no, no root to keep them strong. So that's, that's one of the, this, this, this trumpet, this functionality of the hail. So mind you, when you were back with the, 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 the seventh plague, when they sent the seventh plague out and they placed the, the, the hail coming down, it lists explicitly that the, that the, the servants of Pharaoh, some listened and obeyed and brought their servants and hid them under the plague, and some did not obey and they avoided, they, they left their servants out there in the middle of the plague to attack and to, and to cause, uh, 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 to be attacked to cause injury. So in this case, trumpet number one is addressing those who are the green grass, who have no root. What about those who actually listened to Pharaoh? Well, they hid their soldiers, they, or their servants, they hid their livestock to avoid the death. Well, else points out, in case that happens, uh, there is a third of the trees burned up. Now, trees are a great story, a great uh, symbol being used. I won't go through all the examples of trees. We discussed that in more detail during Sukkot. But trees themselves, Messiah, of course, defined the term as trees are equivalent to people. He used them as far as the fruit which you produce. Trees are people. David also says the same thing in Psalms. Blessed man, who, the righteous who trusts in God is like a, a tree planted by the waters. So the tree is defined as a person. And Daniel did the exact same thing when discussing Nebuchadnezzar. They plucked a tree out that was once great and tall, and plucked him and brought him down very, very low. So, and of course, obviously, Jotham and the book of Judges discuss the same thing, a metaphor of trees symbolizing leadership. So discussing trees, a third of trees, that means a third of the stronger people, a third of the leadership, a third of the they say righteous, but they, the people who produce something, they are trees, they also destroyed this by, by trumpet number one. Trumpet one, of course, again, with Pharaoh's design to target the heart, your strength, your inner power of, of, of who and what you are. All the green grass has no power. They get wiped out. All the trees that are supposed to be producing good fruit, of course they don't, they get, third of them get burned up. Because the design is to, to get or get, uh, get destruction. But you also note in the plague number seven, what is the correct response? The correct response for this plague is to hide. For this trumpet is also to hide. To go indoors, conceal yourself when the, when the trumpet blasts. That's what the response from the, 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 the Pharaoh's servants were to survive this particular blast. So now we, that's trumpet number, number one. So it's trumpet number two. The second trumpet, we get to go through trumpet number two. So grab your shofars, blast your shofars again. This is our trumpet number two. This, of course, is in Revelation chapter 8, verse 8. Well, trumpet number 2 grabs your shofar. We need to blast them again for trumpet number 2. Thank you for hearing me. That was trumpet number 2. So trumpet number 2 correlates to Revelation chapter 8, verse 8. 
uh, through verse 9. It records something like this. It says, The second angel sounded, and something like the great mountain burning was a fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the, rip- of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. So to understand this particular trumpet, trumpet number 2, we have to say, okay, where we heard this before? When has water ever turned to blood? Think. Ever hear that one before? Yeah, when did water turn to blood? The first plagues and water turned to blood. So, trumpet number two, the first plague, that was, uh, uh, that's obviously recorded, we, well, what did I say? We, when Moses struck the water at the Nile River, it turned to blood, right? That's the event, trumpet number two. So, when, when we said, trumpet number two is blasting, the water is turning to blood. Well, this particular event has this, uh, a, a, a great mountain, whatever the great mountain is, of burning. Now, obviously, I'm not going to go into the symbolism. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a meteorite. That, well, I'm not going in there. Sorry, guys. You have your own philosophies on what you think it physically is. Which is this, these, mind you, the Revelation story is written in the viewpoint of God, what God sees. So we see, you know, a, a, an object, a rock, a, a leaf, a tree. He doesn't see a, lo- a rock, a leaf, or a tree. He sees what it symbolically is behind itself. What is a man? God sees him as trees, not as human. We think of the, you, know, we, we, you, you pick me, I bleed. Uh, well, trees don't do that. Well, they look the same as physical objects. They're not the same way that humans do. Uh, they, they're, they, they're, we, we look them as physical objects. God doesn't look the same as physical objects. They're symbolic. So whatever you think as far as the, the great mountain that's burning, that is what you may, you, you may think or perceive. So in the case of the third of the, uh, uh, so became blood, third of the sea became blood, we have to assume, and I'm going to assume in this, you may disagree, that is most likely focused upon the Mediterranean Sea as a, or the sea surrounding Israel as opposed to globe. Why do I say that? Because when it is, if you want globe, global things, don't look at trumpets. You look at the bold judgments. That global things are bowls. Trumpets are Israel. So trumpets focus on Israel and the Middle East. The bold judgments later on is a globe or planet Earth. So they're, they're opposite. They discuss the two different groups of people. I mentioned before, sometimes a prophet talks to you. It's a message to you. And sometimes it's a message to somebody else. Like when he messes, when God's speaking to somebody else, he may use different terms, different ideas or concepts, language that they comprehend. When he's talking to you, he'll use terms that you comprehend. Events in your life. Witnesses that comes to you and speaks something. So when he's talking to you, listen. Talk to somebody else, you might pay attention to, but don't focus it as if it's a message to you. It's not. So bold judgments are for the globe. Trumpet judgments are for Israel. Uh, again, the reason why, just because you're not curious why this is, Trumpets themselves, the feast trumpets, is something that Israel observes, not the Chinese. Right? The Chinese observe feast trumpets. No. Do uh, uh, do 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 the 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 South Americans observe feast trumpets? Native peoples. No. Why? It wasn't given to them. So trumpets are a specific message to Israel or the Middle East. When you focus on trumpets. So number two, again, let's go back a little bit. Uh, so the sea came to blood. So what was the purpose of the sea turning into blood for back in 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 uh, in the plagues? Let's go back there. Look, look at it. it says here. It says uh, that's Exodus chapter. Uh, let's see verse. Where is it? Chapter eight. No, chapter seven. Okay. So of course this this is the 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 blood. So the water turned to blood. So this is the the reference being used here is reference back here. So you want to know what the trumpet is? Go back to Exodus to figure what is what it, what what the symbol behind symbolism behind it what it was. It says the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Pharaoh's heart is hard, refused to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes to the water, and you shall stand by the river and bank to meet him. And he the rod which you turn the serpent, you shall take in your hand. You shall lay. Exodus say, what, Daniel? Oh, this is Exodus chapter seven. Uh, I'm now going into verse uh, sixteen. 
This is very the first plague of the blood. Are you talking too fast for me? I'm sorry. I'll slow down. Exodus, Exodus chapter 7. We started in verse 14. Thank you. Now we're in verse 16. Uh, I do talk fast. I, I do apologize. I'm a good salesman. And you should say to them, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you. Let people go that they may serve in the wilderness. But indeed, until now you would not hear. Thus says the Lord. By this you should know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall return to blood. The fish that are in the river shall die, the river shall stink, the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. Then of course the Lord spoke to Moses to Aaron, take your rod. So the example here as far as what is the Lord's objective in the first play of blood? That was listed in verse 17. By this you should know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters of the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall turn to blood. So, the purpose of the blood, the water of blood, was that you would know only God can do this. All right? That was the objective. So, uh, trumpet number two is identify only God can do this. And of course, obviously, it says, go back to Revelations again, uh, verse 8. It says, a third of the creatures of the sea died. A third of the ships were destroyed. Now, we already know the example as far as the blood is concerned. That was given us to in Revelation, to understand, Revelation, given to us in, Ezekiel, in, in Exodus. The purpose of blood, the water of blood, is to know who God is, that only God can do this, as opposed to a natural phenomenon, as opposed to a different deity, as opposed to something that man created. Man can't do it. And a deity can't do it. Natural phenomenons can't do it. Only God can do it. That's the purpose of the blood to water, or water to blood process. Now, the third of the living creatures of the sea die, and the third of the ships were destroyed. I will not pretend to understand the, 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 all the living creatures because I do not know them. However, I will point out that God does use one third quite frequently. We'll discuss that a little bit later. But the third of the ships, well, uh, fortunately for that, that, that that's, we know that throughout our Tanakh, Tanakh, ships have always been connected to wealth or money it's merchants merchants are ship, sh- or ship, ships so a third of ships are being destroyed that means the merchant or the, the merchant ability to buy or sell that's being attacked with inside the middle east territory surrounding israel we also have uh spilling of blood of course causing disease and uh, by the way the ships of course are discussed in ezekiel 14 in case you wish to go through that you don't have to but that's the third of the ships so we have the trumpet number two's objective is identify who god is and hit the power he has. That's the objective of it, as it points out in the first plague of Exodus. That's trumpet number two. And the destruction of it, of course, destroys the wealth or the power in that form, as far as money is concerned, in the Middle Eastern territory. Now, like I mentioned before, trumpets are focused upon the Middle East, the bulls upon planet Earth. They're, they're different events. So, Middle East is a Middle East territory, Middle East focus. So, that's, what that, so that's trumpet number two. Hold no question about number two. It's pretty straightforward as far as what the the, the, the the blood and such, as far as the purpose of what God is destroying and why he's destroying it. I will not pretend to understand how this this happens. It's not my business, but this is what God is doing. The, now, trumpet number three. Grab your shofars again. We're going to blast number three. So the trumpet, the third trumpet, this this is uh, silver vision, but chapter eight and verse ten. But before we go, we blast our trumpets number three. A third trumpet for... For the third, uh, the third voice of God. (laughs) 
All of the saddles so far are fun. Okay, so trumpet number three. This is the third trumpet. This is Re- Revelation 8, verse 10. Trumpet number three, it says, Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. It fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood, and the third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died of the water because it was made bitter. Now, two things point out to you. First of all, on the Mediterranean Sea in particular, to focus on the seas, which of course are salt seas, the things which people travel around, the Mediterranean Sea in particular. In this one, Terminator 3 focuses on the cleaner, the, 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 the drinkable water, rivers and lakes and streams. That is that affects them. So in the case, this one attacks the third of the rivers and the springs of water in and around the Middle East. Now, if you recall, when the Egyptians ran out of water with the blood, when the water turns to blood, what they had to do? They dug. They had to dig in the dirt to find water because the, you couldn't drink the Nile. It was all blood, right? Well, in this case, you got a, a similar scenario that the water itself, it's not blood, but of course, but it's still been poisoned this instance. It became the norm of the word, name of the star, or this, this, this event or this object, whatever it was, uh, is wormwood. Now, we've discussed wormwood in the past. Our prophets discuss wormwood as well. And of course, listed in Deuteronomy chapter 29, we discussed it uh, last, uh, last, last, last Friday, actually, or Saturday, I mean. In Deuteronomy 29, Deuteronomy 29, let's go to Deuteronomy 29 to reread that portion of wormwood. We'll also read it, how uh, Jeremiah and Amos use the same symbol. So, Deuteronomy 29, it's Deuteronomy 29, it is, text page over, and that is going to verse 18. It reads as such. Uh, actually, let's back a little bit. Let's do verse 16, because it leads into verse, verse 18. For you know that we dwell in the land of Egypt, that we, that we dwelt in the land of Egypt, that we came through the nations which you passed by, and you saw their abominations and their idols which were among them, wood, stone, silver, and gold, so that there may not be among you a man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away today from Jehovah our God to go and serve the gods of these nations and that there may not be among you a root bearing bitterness or wormwood. And so it may not happen when he hears the words of his curse, he blesses himself his heart, saying, I shall have peace even though I walk in the imaginations of my heart, as though the drunkard could be included with a sober. The Lord would not spare him, for then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy would burn against that man, and every curse that is written in this book would settle upon him, and the Lord would blot out his name from under heaven. As the Lord would separate from him all separate him from all the tribes of Israel for adversity, according to all the curse, the covenant that are written in this book of the law. So that's as far as the nature of wormwood, when we're introduced to the concept of it, what is what the context here, of course, of a person who believes, or appears to believe, that they can uh, not follow God's instructions, but yet still be blessed by God. Of course, God's instructions are the words of the, of the law, as far as how to live. That's our introduction to Wormwood. It's also reused again in Jeremiah, actually many places, but we're going to go to only a few of them. So uh, Jeremiah discusses this in uh, verse chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9 discusses Wormwood as well in context as far as similarly to how Deuteronomy discusses it. Jeremiah chapter 9, it jumps down to verse 12. So Jeremiah, Jeremiah 9 verse 12 says, Who is the wise man who may understand this? And who is he to whom the mouth of the Lord has spoken, that he may declare it? Why does the land perish and burn up like a wilderness that no one can pass through? The Lord said, Because they have forsaken my law, which is before them, and have not obeyed my voice, nor walked according to it. 
but they have walked according to the imagination of their own heart after the Baals which their fathers taught them. Therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, God of Israel, Behold, I will feed them this people with wormwood, and give them water of gall to drink. I will scatter them also among the Gentiles, whom neither they nor their fathers have known, and I will send a word after them until I have consumed them. So Jeremiah, of course, also uses the same context, that they are abandoning God's law. He associates that with, I will feed you, or you will be associated with, wormwood, or this gall of water of bitterness. Now, of course, what bitterness was also used in the Torah for Moses. They're coming out of, of Egypt. We won't discuss that today, although that is, that is well, we will, but just a minute. Um, Amos also discussed this. Amos chapter 5 also uses the context of wormwood, and he uses it the same way the Torah seems to use it, as far as the, 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 the idea of the, the self-delusion of a person or a group of people. So Amos 5, so you have verse, uh, let's see, back up to verse... Verse four. Sorry, verse four. Uh, as far as Amos, as far as Amos, it's verse. It's verse all the way through verse ten. But sorry, verse four says, "Is Amos five verse four? For thus says the Lord God, the house of Israel: Seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel nor into Gilgal nor pass over to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into captivity and Bethel come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it, with no one to quench it in Bethel." You who turn justice to wormwood and lay righteousness to rest in the earth. He made the Pleiades near Orion, and he turns a shadow of death into morning, and makes the day dark as night, and he calls the waters of the sea, and pours them out to the face of the earth. The Lord's his name. He rains ruin upon the strong, so the fury comes upon the fortress. They hate the one who rebukes in the gate, and they abhor the one who speaks uprightly. Therefore, because you tread down the poor and take grain and taxes from him, though you have built houses of hewn stone, yet you have not dwelt in them, you planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink wine from them. I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins. You afflict just and take bribes, and divert the poor from justice at the gate. Therefore the prudent keep silent at that time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. So the Lord of hosts will be with you as you have spoken. Hate evil and love good. Establish justice in the gate. It may be the Lord of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. So in the case, we also have the idea of twisting judgment, twisting righteousness is the evilness. So twisting what was right in God's eyes and instructions for Moses is also wormwood. But the same philosophy of, I will be blessed even though I disobey God, which is where the Torah comes from, as far as when Moses gave it to us. So wormwood is used multiple times. That's a context which is dominantly used in the twisting of your own the own ideas of your head. So in this case, we have the third trumpet. If we use the symbols that the Bible tells us, then this third of the waters became wormwood. Many men die from the water because it was made of bitter. Well, you could obviously interpret this as completely physical, but if you also interpret them as spiritual, that means wormwood, a third of the people became or thought like wormwood. That they believed they could do whatever they, want, whatever they wanted, and not following the word of instructions of God. That they believe that that was, they'd be fine, and they'll be blessed, they'll be taken care of. And it's they, however, will die for that. So that's, it's, it's a third trumpet, but it's a warning symbol as well. So the wormwood can be used as both physical, maybe so there is some, some meteorite that'll hit the earth and do some strange things in water. Maybe that God is viewed these, this, that happen to taste bad. Or this is symbolism. Maybe that God is viewing the, the, the revelation in a symbol format. In the case of symbols, that means mankind is in this particular viewpoint of life. That something came to them as an instruction for them as a light from heaven. 
mind you, Lucifer was from heaven, <laughs> as a light, to, to, to distort or to mess up or twist their viewpoint of life in far to following God. So that's number number three, the focus behind it, as far as its intent or, or the, the symbolism behind it. Uh, we won't go into too much detail beyond that, other than that uh, in the case of the bitter water, Exodus 15 discussed the bitter water concept. So when God views his bitter water, he use, views it in this particular way. Exodus 15, verse 20 through 27, I'm not going to read them all, but Exodus 15, 20 through 27, discusses the bitter water. It, the, the objective of the bitter water, and God points out when, he, when Moses throws the branch or into the water, makes it not bitter, makes it to, to, tolerable to drink. The answer God gives says, if you diligently heed Jehovah and obey his voice, you will be healed and preserved. So the solution to trumpet number three is what? You want to avoid the bitter water? Then diligently heed Jehovah and obey his voice and you'll be healed and preserved. So that is the instruction for avoiding trumpet number three, the context as far as the destruction and wiping out a third of the men or, or, of mankind being destroyed. Or, or did many men die from it? Because those men died from it because they were not diligently heeding Jehovah or obeying his voice and therefore they were not healed and they were not preserved. That's number three. So chapter number four. Number four. We're going pretty, pretty good so far. Are you so far as again? We chapter number four to go through. Chapter four. Uh, this it, this is uh, Revelations eight verse uh, twelve and thirteen. So we're going to so far. So chapter number four. We blast number four away. So chapter number four, this is, so it reads as such, Revelation chapter nine, or sorry, chapter eight, sorry, verse 12 and 13. The fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so a third of them were darkened, and a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. And I looked to be, and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with loud voice, Woe, 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 the inhabitants of the earth, because the remaining blast of trumpet of the three angels who were about to sound. So to understand this figure trumpet, it's pretty straightforward also. Most trumpets are straightforward. There's a few of them are a little, little off. But uh, when you're discussing, when he says a third of the sun, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, and a third of the day in the night and darkened, well, our Torah already defines sun, moon, stars for us. That was, of course, defined way back in Genesis, chapter 37. So when he discusses that when, in the context you're combining sun, moon, and stars together, as opposed to like just the sun or just the moon alone, whatever the case would be, that be, so we start together is Genesis 37 just de- defines them for us. Now, there are obviously other interpretations. We'll get to Revelations also defines this for us the same way, which we'll just, the, we're, we're, it's being defined twice in your Bibles, what these combinations mean. So Genesis chapter 37, uh, verse, uh, 37, chapter 37, verse 9 says, this is the middle of the, uh, of the dream. So those who are familiar with Joseph's dreams, he had the dream of the sheaves bowing down, right? And then he later on had a dream of the, 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 the sun, the moon, the stars bowing down to him. Yeah, this is about the sun, moon, and stars bowing down to him. He tells his dream, his brothers are all upset, yada, yada, yada. But uh, Joseph also hears it too. It says, uh, read the dream. It's, this is Genesis 37, verse 9. Then he, friend of Joseph, dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers. He said, look, I have dreamed of the dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. He told to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him, said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So Joseph, or Jacob defines the term of the sun, the moon, and in his case, of course, 11 stars, correlate to Jacob 
his wife or, or the mother, as well as the, uh, the his other remaining brothers. Now, fortunately for us, in case we're a little confused, uh, Revelation chapter 12 also defines this the same way. So Revelation 12 defines it the same way. Go but Revelation 12 defines the sun, moon, stars combo. Uh, this is Revelation 12 verses uh, 1 through 6. It says, Now a great sun appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and her, on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fire red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and drew them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. The woman then fled the wilderness where she is a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. So in this chapter 12, also defines the same way. So if we have the sun, the moon, the stars, and this woman, she gave birth to who? Take a wild stab. Messiah. <laughs> this, is the, this is the birth of Messiah, right? With the, who's going to rule the earth with a rod of iron and, and cut up to God? This, this, this is rule all nations. So she gave birth to Messiah. Well, who gave birth to Messiah? Mary did. And who was she from? Tribe of Judah, and from, from specifically tribe of Judah. And that, that, that's, that, that's the line as far as the tribe of Israel that's where this is being discussed. So we have this woman from the tribe of Judah. She's surrounded by the sun, she feeds the moon, and of course, surrounded by the 12 stars. So the the entire hope or the entire central point of all the 12 tribes and God himself, of course, but also Jacob, the objective of their attention is what this woman brings forth, which, which tells us that the, the intent, the symbolism behind the sun, the moon, the stars, both in Genesis as well as in Revelations, associate with Israel, Israel specifically. So we have this story that the sun, the moon, the stars, uh, they, get, they get darkened or or, or dimmed to some degree. So that tells that the people of Israel, what happens? About a third of them get damaged or died or injured in some way. They're not functional anymore. Roughly a third. And it also points to the point that trumpets focus upon Israel, not upon the whole world. So Israel is the one who is injured or damaged to this, to this, to this degree. So there's a third of the, was the obviously the dark was, the, dark, the day was darkened as well as, as, as of night. Because those items are supposed to be the light of the world. They're supposed to shine, shine in the world of darkness. So if you wipe out a third of them, what do you do? Events, things have already led up to today. Now, I do realize many people associate some of these events with past events. Things have already led up to today in our own past, meaning they're in our own history. They point out some of these events associated with you know, World War II and such. I don't say it's right or wrong, but that some of them do. So some of these things, it could be some of these, these trumpets have occurred and they are just in the process of going through. We're in the middle of them. Some arguably believe these trumpets have not occurred at all and we're all waiting for the very first one. I, I'm not going to debate which one you happen to believe. But either way, so this is associated with these particular individuals. So a third of the day did not shine like was in the night. So a third of the tribe was diminished. So that means a third of God's instruction is now dimmed down. So a third of the world no longer has the light it once had. Does that make sense? That's the symbolism we're, we're understanding here as far as what we're, receiving, we're seeing. So it, which would imply because this, but from Moses' instruction, you were supposed to lie to the world, or as far as, uh, as, far as Messiah's instruction, lie to the world. But Moses also was to spread out the world and spread what is true. If a third of you are killed in the process, then that truth doesn't get spread out. So this trumpet of folks are pointing out that a third of the Israelite 
followers or followers of Moses and, and, the, and Messiah or just Moses. You can debate that. Third of the ones who are descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are killed or are wiped out and non-functional anymore. So fourth, that's fourth trumpet. I won't discuss how it happens, just because it does, it does happen. As far as how the, the, the smoke or whatever darkens it, I don't really know. And chapter nine, so we're going to trumpet number five. Actually, hold on, I finished off chapter four. I think I hit, I hit all of the references. Oh, no, I didn't. I'm sorry, I missed some references. I apologize for number four. We can't leave chapter number four yet. I'm sorry, missed that. There's, there's, there's a point here. Uh, chapter four, I, I missed one. In verse uh, 13, it says, I, I, re- I read it once before, I'll read it again. I'll read it in the, uh, in what the Greek says. Um, and I looked and, heard, and I heard an eagle flying through the midst of heaven, saying with loud voice, Woe, 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 the happens the earth, because the remaining blast trumpet of the three angels were about to sound. So in this reference is the eagle. It, many Bibles will say, translate the word as angel. The word actually is eagle. It is the bird. And we discussed this in the past. Eagles were associated with protection. So as you recall, maybe you recall, uh, back in both Exodus and Deuteronomy 32, Exodus 19, Deuteronomy 32, both say, the eagle was designed to, as God says, I carried you out of Egypt on eagle's wings. The idea is the eagle picked you up from adversity, traveled you through a di- difficult situation, and placed you where you were safe and secure. That's the functionality of the eagle and how God uses the eagle in, it, in that form. In this instance, we discussed in the years past, the eagle is not protecting you. This eagle is just warning you. Hey guys, guess what? Yeah, tough luck. Your, your life's going to be miserable. It's not the one to deliver you out of it. So, as it pointed out to you, it says the third of the sun and, and moon and the stars were struck, and the eagles reply to a third of Israel, third of Israelites being killed, saying, "Yeah, tough luck. The next two third are around. Just wait. It gets worse." So that's the eagle's response. So it's a it's a message from God saying, "I'm not going to deliver you from these trumpets. This is the process which happens, and you're going to live. You'll live through it." Now we have the. The, 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 the good example, as far as given to us by Joel, which is read part, we did our, um, our, our dancing earlier today. The book of Joel discussed a little bit about what this context, this sun, moon, star thing, what it might look like. And by the way, if you're ever concerned or confused about Revelations and how it's written or how it's being worded, Revelation tells you what God sees. The prophets tell you what you see. So if, if, if I'm not sure what a tree means, or I'm not sure what a fire means, or I'm not sure what a star means, in Revelation, that's what God's viewing. If I want to know what they look like, you go to the prophets. The prophets tell you that what the human being looks like, what the army looks like, what the events will actually look like in a human viewpoint. So what we would see is the prophets. What God sees is the book of Revelation. It's two different things, but it's a different perspective. I have human eyes like most of you do. So as long as we have human eyes, we're going to see people, we're going to see events, we're going to see activities, see things occurring. Well, with that human eye, I, I wouldn't recognize a revelation event if I'm trying to look for literally an eagle flying around talking to me. If I'm looking for a beast with these funky looking shapes coming out of its body with this, out of the oceans and the seas, I'm going to miss it because I'm looking at them as a God's viewpoint. However, the prophets tell you what they actually look like in human terms. What do people look like? What nations we're dealing with? That kind of thing. So Joel chapter 2 discusses this particular event as far as uh, the destruction concerned. I granted, it's not a very pleasant one. But Joel chapter 2, there's the first uh, few verses, verses 1 through 11. It discusses an invasion. Now, I realize that Joel is, being, is written many, 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 many generations earlier. 
And so you can associate this event to many occurrences. It's happened multiple times. But this is the prophetic event that's supposed to be associated with it because of the, des- of the description being given in Revelation. Joel 2 says, Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound the alarm, my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. A, dark, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the, like the mountains. A people have come, great and strong, the like of whom has never been, nor will there ever be such after them, even for many successive generations. A fire devours before them, and behind them flames burn. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, behind them a desolate wilderness, for nothing shall escape them. Their appearance like the appearance of horses, like swift steeds, so they run. With a noise like chariots, over the mountaintops they leap, and like a noise of flaming fire that devours the stubble, like a strong people set in battle array. Before them the people writhe in pain, all face are drained of color. They run like mighty men, they climb the wall like men of war. Every one of them marches in formation, they do not break ranks. They do not push one another, for everyone marches his own column, and when they lunge between the weapons, they are not cut down. They run to and fro in the city, they run on the wall and they climb to houses, they enter at windows like thieves. The earth quakes before them and heavens tremble. The sun and moon grow dark. The stars diminish their brightness. The Lord gives voice before his army, for the camp is very great. For strong is the one who executes his, his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? So that is the description associated with Revelation's ch- that, that particular trumpet, trumpet number four, because of so it implies that the darkness, the sun, the moon, and such. And in Joel, he's pointing out they're going black due to the destruction they're causing as far as the fires, explosions, whatever they're using to cause, cause destruction. But in Revelations, they're also using this destruction as they're killing people. Well, who are they invading? So in the book of Joel, that's the destruction, that's the, the recipient of that army. So, Revelation, so again, we're looking at trumpets, there's look at God's viewpoint of Revelation, we also look at the prophet's viewpoint when they view the same thing. So this eagle, as I mentioned before, is not protecting them, not delivering them out, they're being they're going through it, like it or not. There's no rapture, so to speak, <laughs> being discussed here. This is a matter of just grin and bear it, and hopefully if you fall, fall, fall at the end, you won't be part of the third that perish. So let's move on to chapter number five. Going to be show fars again. We're going to interpret number five. Number five is uh, Revelation chapter nine. So blast of show fars for trumpet number five. <laughs> Uh, chapter number five, so the Revelation chapter nine, verse one. This is the read. It reads, The fifth angel sounded, and I saw, and a star fall from heaven to the earth, and to him is given a key to the bottomless pit. He opened the bottomless pit, and smoke lo- rose out of the pit like smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened because of smoke of the pit. And out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power as a scorpion of the earth to have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass, the field, or the earth, any green thing, nor any tree, but only those men who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. The torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it, and they will desire to die, and death will flee from them. And the shape of the locust was like of horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had their hair like women's, women's hair, their teeth like lion's teeth. 
They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and their stings were in their tails. Their power was to hurt men for five months. They had a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. One woe was past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. So this one, obviously, there are a lot of people who have discussed this and said, hey, I know what these are. These are helicopters. These are bullets. These are secret drone missile... Whatever. Okay. Uh, I have never heard of. Maybe they exist. Maybe they developed it. I don't know. Any kind of weapon that shoots and doesn't kill that's military made. They may be. I'm just saying I haven't heard of them. So if you want to think they're flying bullets, you think they're helicopters with, you know, shooting out rockets that can't kill anybody, that's fine. I haven't heard of them because our military doesn't develop such things. Yes, have you? Hollywood, Hollywood, you're right. You're right, absolutely right. He's right. Hollywood does do that. I, that is correct. I forgot. There is one military that can produce things that don't kill anybody. It's Hollywood. But the rest of the, the real world kills things. Uh, bullets, helicopters, missiles, whatever. They all kill stuff. So you may think or may believe, oh, it's a some modern new military weapon. That's fine. You can think that. But note, it can't kill anyone. And that's abnormal for any kind of weapon that I know of. Oh, yes. Uh, Tammy, you have your hand up. I would actually disagree with that. There is a weapon. It's mainly used for riot control. The vomit, the vomit gun. It's basically this uh, sound waves that they can point into a crowd that will make people very vizi- dizzy, very nauseous, and you will throw up. Oh, funny! But I've it will not, not kill you or permanently damage your hearing or anything like that. But it's for riot control. How funny! That's a new one. That's what I'm not familiar with. So maybe they, does it does it make that funky sound like a helicopter? I don't know. <laughs> maybe it does, like like a thousand chariots. Maybe it is. I'm not sure. Maybe that's the new weapon. I don't know. Maybe they'll they'll make those. Uh, I'm not sure. But either way, I, so if they do exist, I, I can stand correct. That's fine. Some strange thing may exist that I'm not familiar with. I, I admit I don't study military weaponry. But either way, interesting about this particular one is that uh, it uses the bottomless pit. Bottomless pit means grave. So because it's a pit that it can never be filled, right? Can you ever fill up a grave? No. No matter how many people die, someone else can always die. So there's no, you can't fill the grave up. It's always full. It can never be full. So as we have at the bottom of the verse uh, uh, number five, uh, out of the smoke, a uh, great fiery furnace, of course, it burns. In this case, it darkens. The, this, unlike uh, chapter number four, this one, the sun and moon are darkened due to the smoke being produced by this event. So this is why how it darkens them. It specifically says, of course, the smoke of the pit, the smoke of death, is the cause. So the, 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 the tool being used to cause harm creates a lot of apparently smoke or destruction to blot out the sun in and around the Middle East territory where this is taking place. Now it does listen here as far as the authority to kill, or sorry, not to kill, but to, to harm all those who are not in the seal of God. Now we'll discuss seal of God on, uh, uh, on the uh, on atonement. So that's, that's discussed a little bit in Revelation chapter 7 as far as the seal of God, what that means. So those who have it also discussed again in Ezekiel. What that, what that symbolism is supposed to be. So those who don't have that seal, the ones get harmed. Well, in Revelation, atonement is focused on how you get that seal versus not getting it. Or those who, who would like to have it versus not have it. So that's how you get it. But then we'll discuss getting it later. In this case, men, of course, are trying to seek death and they're not getting it. So in, to understand this problem, we have to say, okay, they, these are locusts. Now, where did we hear about locusts before? In the Exodus, right? 
and also actually a few prophecies about locusts too. But the most famous one is Exodus. Now, of course, this one is Exodus chapter 10. So Exodus chapter 10 discuss the nature of locusts. What, why did God use the term or the symbol or the descriptive word as locusts? So Exodus 10 discusses the, the plague of locusts. The plague of locusts, of course, plague number 8. Um, let's see, I won't read through, well, all of it? Uh, maybe not all of it. So it, it, we'll go through a portion of it. It says, um, verse 10, starting in verse, verse 1. Yeah, I can do verse 1. Yeah, we'll do verse 1. Now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him. That you may tell the hearing of your sons and your sons' sons the mighty things I have done in Egypt, and my signs which I have among, done among them. That you may know that I am Jehovah. So Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says Jehovah, God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to, let my people, humble, refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, so that they may serve me. Or else you refuse to let people birth, and they shall eat the residue of your territory, and they shall cover the face of the earth, so that no one will be able to see the earth, and they shall eat the residue of what is left, which remains to you from the hail. They shall eat every tree which grows up for you out of the field. It shall fill your houses, the houses of your servants, the houses of your Egyptians, which are neither your fathers nor your fathers' fathers have seen since this day. And they were on the earth to this day. And he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord, their God. And do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? Let's stop there for a minute. So note the Pharaoh's men are, are getting some logic kicked into them. So wait a minute. Uh, how do we manipulate the situation to our gain? So I, will, I would speculate, my Daniel Age speculation, by the time chapter number five shows up, I think men are probably realizing we're in a bad situation. How do we fix this problem? That's my, I am speculating. That's probably the time, which points out that men are trying to, to hide or try to, try, try to figure out how to, how to survive and, and they, can't, they can't die from it. They're trying to solve this problem. They can't solve it. That's my opinion as far as why that reference is that men will seek death but can't find it. They can't figure out how to get, to get the way out of the situation. Anyway, back to Exodus uh, chapter 10, verse 9. So Moses said to them, so Moses were brought again to Pharaoh and he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God, but who are the ones who are going? Moses said, we will go with our young and our old, our sons, our daughters, our flocks, our herds. We will go. We must hold a feast to the Lord. He said to them, the Lord had better be with you when I let you and your people little ones go. Beware for evil is ahead of you. And not so. Now go. You who are men and serve the Lord, for that is what you desired. And they were driven from Pharaoh's presence. Pharaoh's, Moses, so the Lord said to Moses, Just out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb in the land all the hail is left. So Moses stretched his hand rod over the land of Egypt and the Lord brought out an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. Locusts went up all over the land of Egypt and and rested on all the territory of Egypt. They were very severe. Previously there had not been such locusts as as that, nor there should be after them. For they covered the face of the whole earth. So the land was darkened, and they ate every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. So remained nothing green in the trees or the plants of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. Pause there for a minute. Uh, in, so in Exodus, the, the functionality of locusts to eat all the green stuff, right? Well, in Revelation, the functionality of locusts specifically is to avoid the green things. So in Revelation, the fifth trumpet, we're trying, the locusts are, are being given contrast. You will, you will eat 
green things and all the green stuff in Exodus, you will avoid all green things in Revelation. In Exodus, they didn't eat men. In Revelation, you eat men. Not really meat, but you attack men. So in, in the context of these locusts and the trumpet number, seven, number five, it's pointing out that you're not going to act like a locust. You're not going to do the logical thing. You're going to do the illogical thing. You're going to focus on men instead of green things. But you're still not going to leave a man untouched as far as the ones who are, who are doomed to be touched. Go back to Exodus chapter, uh, 10, verse uh, 16. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and Aaron haste, said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and sinned against you. Therefore, please forgive my sin only this once and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. It went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. The Lord turned every very strong west wind to the locusts away and blew them to the Red Sea. There remained not one locust of the territory of Egypt. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and did not let the children of Israel go. So the solution or the example given, given here for this fifth trumpet or these locusts that are given in Exodus, I'm comparing to both, obviously, for, on purpose, um, is that the solution here is Pharaoh realizes uh, this is death to me. Take this death away. So Pharaoh, the, the, the one whose goal was to have power and dominion and control over everyone and be king, he's recognizing this is too much for me. So we have the example of Galatians. The men pointing out, looking for death, I can't fight it. This is too much for me, which I can't withstand this particular onslaught. It's greater than I am. As far as the, 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 the nature of the locusts and the hair and the appearance, I'll leave it up to you to believe as far as what you think it may or may not be. But either way, in the instructions here, it points out that the, the individual or the, the, the angel in charge of doing this, verse, uh, of the fifth trumpet, is it called Abaddon or the destruction or destroyer, either way as far as in the different languages, as far as what the angel's job is. So in this particular indica- indicates, using that term, is that these locusts in, in the trumpet, Trumpet number five, their functionality is to destroy. So the voice of God's pointing out, in this case, you will destroy as opposed to you will consume. And Pharaoh recognized if you consume the green things, you kill us. And Trumpet's voice, you don't consume the green things. You're not killing us. So this isn't a death associated with it. This is just a misery or an unpleasant experience. That's from number five. So as far as other examples of number five, we have our solution though. So number five, in case you're not quite sure what you do, if you happen to be stuck in the Middle East and you see these, whatever these things are, flying about, <laughs> there is a solution that is given to us uh, in 1 Kings chapter 8. So 1 Kings 8, if you're not sure what happens, you know, what do I do? Oh no, I'm stuck, I'm confused. 1 Kings 8, not a problem. Great Solomon told us how to solve this problem. We solve these problems, these strange locusts. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 8, we saw it with verse, uh, verse 37. When there is a famine in the land, or pestilence, blight, mildew, locusts, or grasshoppers, when the enemy besieges them in the land of their cities, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, that includes just about everything, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made to, by anyone or by all your people Israel, when each one knows the plague of his own heart and spreads out his hands toward this temple, then hear in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act and give everyone according to his ways, whose hearts you know, for only you know and only the hearts of all sons of men, that they may fear you all the days that they may live in the land which you gave to our fathers. What's the solution? You humble yourself and you pray to God, God help me. <laughs> God help me. We got problems. And Psalm says, not a problem when you see these crazy things, this, this locusts that make pestilence or, or destruction. What's the solution? 
you humble yourself to God. What is the ultimate goal of God? Is that not it? To humble men? That we worship him? That's the goal, right? So these, this scenario takes care of any one of these problems. But I was grateful the, that, that uh, uh, Samuel, or sorry, Solomon was able to explicitly explain to men, hey guys, in case you're confused, you can come up with. He didn't even specify how the, this is how it's solved. <laughs> Whatever happens, Whatever prayer you can come up with, he didn't even specify how the prayer is worded. He says, whatever prayer, whatever explanation is made, whatever they can create out of their mouth, whatever language it's in, if they pray to you, this temple, pray to you, God, you will hear that. He's being very broad spectrum, very open about it. He's no problems, anybody. So this is a very open, open solution, but this is a solution you have to deal with. So when God speaks, we have to listen. Go back to Revelations. We were back in. Uh, we completed trumpet number five, so we're going to go to number six. So grab your shofars again. Last our trumpet number six, and this so six is going to correlate to Revelations nine from thirteen through twenty-one. <laughs> Amen. All right, so chapter number six. So number six goes, it, it says, reads as such. I mind you, uh, stop for a minute. Number six, it lists it, but then events follow that prior to number seven showing up. We'll discuss a little bit about those events because those are all part of number six and leading up to number seven. So number six, it reads, this is Revelation 9, starting in verse 13. So Revelation 9, verse 13. Then the sixth angel sounded. I heard a voice from the four corner, horns of the, of the golden altar, which is before God. Pause. Now, remember the golden altar we've already introduced to before. That is the incense altar. So this is with prayers. So this, a voice from the, from the four corners, the, from, the, from the altar before God, these are now prayers in answer or in answer to prayers coming up. Saying, verse 14, saying to the sixth angel who had trumpeted, release the four angels who are bound up in the great river Euphrates. So, the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, and the month, and the year were released to kill one-third of mankind. Now, the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million, and I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire and smoke and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and their tails, for their tails are like serpents, having heads, and with them they do harm. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, they should not, that they should not worship demons, idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, which can neither see, hear, nor walk. They did not repent of their murders or their pharmaceuticals or the sexual immorality or their thefts. So in this instance, we have this example of these, uh, the, the, this, this sixth angel, right? So we have these, these, these descriptions of these, these, these creatures coming forth, obviously the 200 million, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I'm going to discuss the horsemen and what they all look like because I honestly, I don't understand what that is as far as what kind of creature that would be. Uh, the high synth, the, the blue, the, the yellow, and the red. Uh, the only association I have with blue, yellow, and red is the Temple of God. Because what is the Temple of God made of? 
red, blue, and gold. <laughs> Those are three colors, right? There's obviously some silver in there too. There's a little bit of brass or a little copper. There's some purple, but the dominant colors are red, blue, and gold. The, the, the dominant colors, and they ha- so the, so these three I would associate with the temple of God or being inspired by or followed by God to do these things. As far as the killing of third of mankind, note I mentioned many times already. This is focused upon the land of Israel. Is the Euphrates rivers in Canada? Is the Euphrates River in Brazil? Is it in Africa? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Where is Euphrates River at the time which John's writing? <laughs> it would be where you call it a day in modern day Iraq, Iran, a little bit of Syria, that, that basic territory. It is in the Middle East. So this army is focused upon where? The Middle East. All, all these events, we also discuss a little bit later with the Middle East. So this event, this takes place in the Middle East. The sixth, this particular sixth trumpet correlates to these particular items. So uh, we already know this is an army is the process. It actually lists out a sort of, of horsemen coming forward to do this, to kill a third of mankind. Now it points out it's killed being three different methods. So three methods that this, this, this army of form is doing is using, uh, was it says, other mouths come br- uh, fire, smoke, and brimstone. Those are three methodologies which they, which they are using to kill one third of the men. Now again, this is focused on Israel, so the land of Israel is being focused on here. That's that is the intent of the, or, or the objective. Now we understand that in modern day, this is modern day, and this is actually real legitimate army in modern day. Uh, we kill n- dominantly through uh, brimstone, smoke, and fire. That is our dominant methodology of killing. That's what militaries use. They use smoke, brimstone. We call it ordnance. Blow things that blow up. That's what we use today. We use missiles. Use bombs. That's commonly used. So. Today, in modern-day warfare, in most... I realize there are bullets, too. But, but the, the, the dominant use as far as destruct, destroying things... We don't use bullets, we use explosive stuffs. So, fire, brimstone, smoke, that is the pro- process which we kill things. Uh, so, I, I can't say for certain, but most likely this would be, since it points out, it's killing men. There's not symbolically these, these, these individuals, this, this army is being released to do so. It does appear to be an army of some form in order to kill. Um, so I won't discuss as far as which army it is. The 200 million men is, is, is an obscenely large number, so I can't pretend to know what army that may or may not be. I don't, I don't understand it, because uh, I don't know of any army that's even groups of armies that are that size. Uh, you're looking at you know, mass populations to make it that number. I do realize there are lots of big armies, but you can't make them that large that quickly. So I'm not sure who, who it would be, but it does imply this, is it, that this, this, this area is the case. But I want to point out to you a few details, so, however, is, is that those who are who who are who, who, who did not who did not die, they wouldn't repent. They refuse to repent of obviously their idol worships and all the various things which they worship in their in the focus of their of their strength. They also did not repent of their murders, their pharmaceuticals or sexual immorality or their threat or their thefts. Uh, some of your Bibles, by the way, pharmaceuticals is the Hebrew word. Or sorry, the Greek word for where we get pharmaceutical drugs from. And you can also be uh, you can also interpret them as like uh, illicit drugs if you wished to. Or, uh, or whatever we have you wish to, to, to interpret it. People who, who are Torah, when, the, when Moses explains, says you avoid sorcerers, people who, who are sorcerers, that's people who use pharmaceuticals to do things. So they're using chemicals to manipulate you. Whether you're, whether, you can debate whether it's for good or bad, but that's the, that's the, the, that's the theory behind the process of sorceries. So they use chemicals to do things to you or your body. So they would not, re- not repent from them. Now, before I go into detail, because I can't understand the, the army itself, I just don't know. I don't know what it is. 
I know it obviously it has some type of, or I shouldn't know. I it looks like it's some type of ordinance I'm not familiar with, or that, that, that we are familiar with. That is that that I, I don't know what specifically, but can can do these things that kills these individuals. But the chapter number six leads into a, two events: the little book as well as the two witnesses. So when it says a little bit about those, this chapter number six leads into these two events. So the little book is referenced, and also that's in verse uh, chapter ten, of Revelations. So this is all part of chapter, of, of uh, chapter six. The little the little book discussed here is uh, in verse uh, chapter ten. It says verse one, and I saw a little another mighty angel coming down from heaven and clothed the cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand. He set his right foot upon the sea, his left foot upon the land. He cried with a loud voice, as when a lion roars. And when he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice in heaven saying to me, Seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered, and do not write them. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and the land lifted his hand up to heaven, swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heaven and the things that are in it, the earth things are in that, and the sea and the things are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But the day is the sounding of the seventh angel, which he is about to, which he is about to sound. The mystery of God will be finished, as he declared to his servants the prophets. And the voice which I heard from the heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the little book, which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. And I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. He said to me, Take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but it will be sweet as honey in your mouth. I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I ate it, my stomach became bitter. He said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Stop. This is not our first introduction to the little book. The little book was given to us by Ezekiel. So Ezekiel has his little book. Let's go back to Ezekiel, as far as understanding what's so special about this particular book. That was apparently, it appears to have been read from, the angel was reading from it, as well as just speaking off the cuff. So Ezekiel tells us what's in the little book. Ezekiel chapter 2, this little book has instruction, have information in it. Ezekiel chapter 2, starting in verse 1. This is a vision, by the way. He's being sent out. He said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak to you. The Spirit entered me when he spoke to me and set me on my feet. Then I heard him who spoke to me. He said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. For they are impudent and stubborn children. I am sending you to them. And you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. For as them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house, yet they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, that their briars and thorns which with, with you and where you dwell among scorpions. Do not be afraid of their words or dismayed by their looks, though they are a rebellious house. You speak by words to them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, they are rebellious. But you said a man, hear what I say to you. Do not rebellious like the rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, there was a hand stretched out over me. And behold, a scroll of a book was in it. He spread it out before me, and there were writing on the inside and the outside. And written on it were lamentations, mournings, and woe. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go and speak to the house of Israel. I opened my mouth, and he caused to eat the scroll. He said to me, Son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So I ate it in my mouth as honey in sweetness. He said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. 
For you are not sent to people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many people of unfamiliar speech of hard language, those whose words you cannot understand. Surely, had I sent you to them, they would have listened to you. But the house of Israel will not listen to you, because they will not listen to me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Behold, I have made your face strong against their faces, and your forehead strong against their foreheads. Like adamant, like adamant stone, harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they are a rebellious house. Or is it to me, Son of man, receive into your heart all my words I speak to you, and hear with your ears. And go and get to the captives, the children of your people. Speak to them and tell them, That's the Lord of God, whether they hear or whether they refuse. So we have instructions from Ezekiel. What's in the little book? Lamentations, woes, miseries, complaints, serious issues that the house of Israel has failed to adhere or follow their God. That's the script that's in the little book. Of course, it was sweet, of course, Ezekiel. Of course, at all points, it's sweet to him too, but it's bitter to his stomach. So inside him, he's filled up. It's unpleasant. So the, the acceptance is, is, is difficult. So this little book that this angel read from this again, I point out, this is folks in the Middle East. What, was Ezekiel sent to uh, you know, the Japanese? Was he sent to the Africans? Was he sent to the Canadians? No. Was it the Americans? No. Who was he sent to? Israel. So in this instance, we have the same little book being described here, and John, of course, has to eat it, the same principle. Who's the little book written about? Israel. It's written about Israel. So these are complaints. The, the, the trumpets are all focused on Israel. These are complaints that the house of Israel is the one who is failing in these issues. I'm not saying that doesn't include us or two. It's the point that that's the nature of the house of Israel. So they're the ones who are failing at this. It is the, the sweetness at first. And it's pleasant, the words of God, but you're coming out as a bitterness. It is an unpleasant experience. Is sin nice and pleasant at first? Generally, yes. We like it. It's fun. We enjoy it. But then what is the long-term consequence? It's negative, has long-term negative effects. So it's the same principle that you've chosen what looked sweet being rebellious, but in reality, it is dangerous to you throughout the rest of your life. This is the nature of how this process works. So we have this little book that's been written or is being eaten up by John. And of course, Ezekiel ate it too. And of course, he says, now you guys take the little book, which is open, eat it, and now go, what's happening? Why? What's going on? with these events, these events as far as these wars are happening, why they are happening, what is preventing people from saying, hey, I need to change my ways, change what I'm doing. That's the nature of all these trumpets. So folks want Israel to change the path that they are on. That's the goal or objective. Don't confuse these with the bowl's objective, which is the change of path of the globe. The globe, the whole world, is on a different course than Israel is. God must clean his own house before he cleans up the rest of the houses. So the house is clean first. This is focused, the trumpets focus upon Israel, focus the people of Israel, and what they are dealing or have to have to deal with as far as their own their own rebelliousness, their own rebellious ways. Now, but that's not it. So that's not the end of it. So also in in in, in the sixth trumpet, so you have this little book as far as the prophesy, but then God sends two witnesses to go also to the house of Israel. They're also recipients of this during this sixth trumpet. The recipients of all these different trumpets, but they get to this this as well. So chapter 11 goes, the two witnesses are also part of trumpet number six. Verse 11, it says, Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood, rise, it said, rise, rise, measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. Believe the outer court, which is out of the temple, 
and do not measure it, for it has been given to Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. Stop. We know we already have an example of, hey, now he's pointing out that, no, you're doing a job here, focus Israel, the part that belongs to Gentiles between the globe. Ignore them. We're not measuring them, we're not discussing them, we're not dealing with them, we're not talking to them. That's not our concern right now. We're now we're just the house of Israel. So they're being set aside, ignored, ignore the Gentiles, ignore what they're doing. It's not relevant to what you, the message you're trying to send. Continue on verse 3. And I will give my power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. These the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds to the mouth, devours enemies, and if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have the power to shut heaven, so that no rain falls upon the days of their prophecy, and they shall have power over waters to turn them to blood, and strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. Now when they have finished their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them to overcome them and to kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of this great city, which spiritually is called Sodom, Sodom in Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Then those the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days, and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another, because these two prophets tormented those who dwelt upon the earth. Now to these three and a half days the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet. And a great fear fell upon those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. In the same hour there was a great earthquake, a tenth of the city fell. The earthquake, seven thousand men were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is not past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. All right, stop there. There's a lot of stuff in here. So first of all, these witnesses... We have the symbols of identification, which is great. I like symbols of identification. It helps us identify what's going on. So in this, obviously, refers to the two witnesses being the two lampstands spoken of Zechariah. We don't have to go there yet. Zechariah chapter 4 discusses this big image Zechariah has. We have this menorah being fed by, by two olive branches. They're feeding the oil to it. And he says, what's the menorah? What the lights are? These eyes, eyes of God, yada, yada, yada. But the point is that you're seeing it. So God's identifying who the two witnesses are. But... The text here also tells us what they teach. All right? It's great. So first things, what it tells us is they get to shut up heaven. Think in your head. Who got to shut up heaven and make it not rain? Elijah did. Elijah shut up heaven made it not rain. Remember that? Ahab and Elijah, they had to rain for three years. And that's a run off the wilderness and it gets fed by ravens and, and the whole, you know, the widow with the sons dying. Here's the oil that lasts her. The dough that lasts till the rains came. That's Elijah. So we have a reference of shutting up heaven. These angels are now associated or attached to the symbols of Elijah. Who got to speak, speak flame coming down from heaven to burn people up? Yeah, Elijah did it too. Elijah did. These, these, these men, these, these are these, these are the prophets of God during the kings. So we're discussing these issues. These are great, great stories. I think Elijah did that one. So we have, we have these two men are associated with Elijah and Elisha's ministry. And what did Elijah teach? There is one God. Identify who your God actually is. He sort of point out to the people that they were stuck with Baal worship. Elijah's ministry was focused on there is a God, a specific God. He does one thing. 
this is who he is. You're confused. You don't understand who he is anymore. I understand that, but I'm trying to teach you who God is. Elijah's job was to instruct and identify God. But they also have more information about these men. They also get to turn water to blood. Who got to do that? Moses. Well, what did Moses teach? Moses taught you how to live, what God's instructions for life are, how to perceive, how to go through your life from day-to-day events, how to, how to worship your God, to love your God with your heart, mind, and soul, and your strength. So that was Moses' functionality. He taught people who God was and the nature of God's instructions on how to live, how to live your life. So we have these two men, these witnesses, have both the functionality or spirit of Elijah with them as well as the, the instructions from Moses. So we have not only who God is from Elijah, but also what does he command? Moses. So these two witnesses are going to teach what God commands as well as who God is. But not only that, they also have another symbol. What, who got to die for three days, get brought back up and ascend to heaven? Hard one. Yeah, Yeshua did that one, right? <laughs> so, so we have not only these two witnesses get to, to be as Elijah, who teaches who God is, and Moses, what God commanded, but also what was Yeshua's primary focus? Forgiveness of your sins. And turn their hearts back to God. That was a focus on now, to, to, to forgive your sins. They, they only died for the, the, my sins, right? That's the whole point of it, right? So these men, and the forgiveness of sins, they have the both combination of all three major prophets. Well, besides more than a prophet, but the point is all three major ministries as far as who God is, what he commands, and forgiving of your sins. That's pretty impressive. These three men, these two men, sorry, have messages from all three prophets, so all three messages, all three ministries thrown together in one. And God, is administering and people are upset with them so all these teachings they don't like the commandments of how to follow god they don't like the forgiveness of sin philosophies so all these teachings are the people themselves don't like but these two witnesses are preaching those three major messages so they embody all three men or the son of man combined into the two of them of course obviously they're killed eventually now it points out here the beast kills and the beast is what i introduce the beast to like the next chapter but uh, uh, clearly, these are simultaneous events. Whatever this beast is, lives at the same time these witnesses live. So, trumpet number six covers these topics. So, we're expecting if you see these types of things going on about the world, the whole point is you have these, these, these events happening, not the world, sorry, within the Middle East. These events are occurring. We're focusing our attention where we're at. They're identifiers of markers of events. We have two witnesses that are supposed to be these three major messages that come out of them. It's a combined message because they, all, they both focus themselves inside Jerusalem to work together as a team. Okay, so that makes number six taken care of. So again, I, don't, I can't explain the, the exact army that's referred to, the, the 200 million man army. I'm not going to pretend to know that because I, I don't know it. I would suspect, just suspect, that's associated with the beasts themselves, but I can't say for certain. I say that because the two witnesses are around during that sixth trumpet as well. While the beasts are there, the sixth trumpet. So move number number seven, our last trumpet for the day. This is trumpet number seven. This is uh, Leviticus 11, verse 15. Uh, through Actually, it continues on for long stuff after that, but we'll get there in a minute. So 11, verse 15. But before we get to the blast, our chauffeur. Oh, yes, uh, Larry, you, you, you have your hand up. Before we go on to number seven, let's uh, answer Larry's question. Talk recently that China claims to be able to field a 200 million man army. Yeah, there is a lot of talk about that. I have heard that. It's, and it's due to the, their, um, actually, Israel does the same thing. They have a mandatory uh, service requirement for all citizens, all male citizens in particular for China. And uh, they, 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 they service, but their service is kind of like, um, oh, it's hard to describe it. It's not really 
in-depth, like real service per se. It's more like a cursory, like, it's like join the ROTC part-time. <laughs> That's kind of how it is. It's, it's a, it's a, you kind of walk the street, do a few basic maneuvers, and then you graduate, move on. And that's it. I, I've known a few people in China and they've never expressed any, anything as far as military is concerned. Yeah, they had to go through it, but it meant nothing to them. So I, don't, I can't say they're 200 million effective soldiers. <laughs> they may be 200 million human beings like, like, like the Afghanistan soldiers that we selected that couldn't read. Yeah, they're soldiers. Sure. All right, so uh, n- number seven. This is, uh, yeah, let's get your shofars and blast. Ready? Long blast. The trumpet episode is traditionally the longest blast of the trumpets for Trump for for uh, Shavuot. Oh, it's not Shavuot. I mean, uh, uh, for Tiyum Tshuva. Uh, so, trumpet number seven. So, this is uh, Revelations chapter eleven, starting in verse fifteen. It reads as follows: The seventh angel sounded, and there was a loud voices in heaven saying, "The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and His Christ. He shall reign forever and ever." And the twenty-four elders who sat upon the, before God on their thrones fell upon their faces and worshipped, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is, who was, and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time of the dead that should be judged, and the end that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. The temple of God was then opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple, and there was lightnings, noises, thunderings, and an earthquake, and great hail. We'll pause there for a minute. We'll discuss the sign in a minute, So before we get to the sign that's being discussed here. So we have this, uh, obviously the elders being be, worship God and such, and nations being, being, being discussed as far as their, their worshiping of God. But you see, in verse 19, the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was being was seen in this temple. There were lightnings and noises. That verse 19. That event took place in a small scale version when Messiah died. Remember the whole, I believe it's what Hebrews discussed it, the whole veil being ripped open or being shredded from top to bottom. It, 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 it was just a tradition. I'm not sure where it was off the top of my head. But as far as, and the doors that they used to close the temple could no longer be closed anymore. They, were, they would automatically open on their own. They're like super like multi-ton doors, couldn't be closed. So, and this, in a small scale version, symbolically speaking, this event has already taken place as far as the temple of God being opened up and the, the, the veil that separated people from the Ark of it was now ripped open and people could theoretically see it. Of course, there was nothing there, but they could still see it theoretically. So this event took place. So we have this reference of, if we have this reference here in trumpet number seven, then we have the, essentially the, the symbolic version of that that took place in Messiah's day, what did Messiah do to make that happen? Died, is resurrected. That's process which made that process happen, which made the temple of God be broken open or opened up. So his his action of 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 that death did that effect. Now we have here it says these 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 sort of angels point out that the time of the dead that they should now be judged is now here. It's time for judging of the dead, so to speak, or is ready ready to happen. That tells us that that act of opening is symbolic of the judgment of dead, the judgment of God's people, judgment of people who follow who followed or those who didn't follow God. So, so those are attached or associated uh, events 
as far as how they're how they're attached together. So, this, so Messiah's death is a type of judgment of God, so to speak, at the time which it happened. And of course, this is also another judgment of God at the time which this occurs. So, the opening of the temple is that time of the, of the judgment of God. And I say that because when you die and you're before the throne of God, is your uncleanness a factor in him talking to you? Now, mind you, you're dead. There's no flesh left on you. Is your uncleanness a factor of him talking to you? No, it can't be. Because there's nothing unclean about you. You're a spirit now. You might be a, a one doomed to die, but you're still a spirit. So he can now talk to you. There's no barrier between one spirit and God's spirit. Even Satan himself gets to talk to God face to face. Think about it. If he himself gets to talk to God face to face, what about you and I? Are we worse than him? I hope not. So if Satan gets to talk to God face to face, then we can talk to God face to face, regardless to perish your spirit. I don't transgress his iniquities. It may be we're talking to him and says, okay, now it's time to perish your spirit. I don't know. That's between the individual and God. But there's no barrier there between spirit talking to another spirit. There isn't a barrier there. If Satan doesn't have a barrier between him and God, you and I don't get a barrier between us and God. You may want one. You might want the Messiah there, but <laughs> that's a different problem. You may want a barrier there in front, but you don't, don't, ha- you don't have one there. So the temple gets opened up. That's the nature of being opened up. There's no, no barrier between you and God anymore. Uh, let's move forward here. Now, let's uh, go back to, uh, we were at trumpet number seven, and uh, see, the woman, and we have wars and such on earth and heaven. I won't go through all of these. This goes on rather extensively regarding judgments and such and the bold judgments that happened to the whole globe. So we're going to transition from trumpet seven into the bold judgments. We're not going to hit those today because there's not even close enough time to do that. But anyway, for this point, which I already read this earlier, read it again, though. Uh, this is chapter 12 of Revelations. This is also inside the context of trumpet number seven. A great sun appeared in heaven. A woman clothed the sun with the moon her feet and her head in the garland of twelve stars. Being with a child, she cried out in labor and pain to give birth. Another side appeared in heaven, behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven diadems on his head. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. The woman fled the wilderness where she was placed, a place prepared by God that she should, fe- be, she should feed her there 1,260 days. Stop. We'll go back to, we'll, we'll go to you in a minute. So, Moses already took place, right? We know Messiah died, right? We know he went up to heaven, we, right? We know that part. So, this event of chapter 12 appears dominantly as a, a sign, which means it's a sequence of events that took place in the past and in John's future still. We'll discuss that in one moment. So, in the case of the past, the child already, took, already was born, right? Already Messiah was born, he died in heaven. That part's done. The woman then fled the wilderness. Who fled the wilderness? Now, Messiah died. Those of you who don't know history very well, it's okay. Uh, when he died, he was resurrected and moved on. Years went by. The, the, people, of, is, the people within inside Jerusalem continued on their cycle. The, the, prophet, the apostles tried to keep teaching, yada, yada. Things happened. But eventually, something did occur. Something did occur within inside, we call it the, the great 70 AD, the great destruction of Jerusalem. That destruction took place. It was destroyed. What did the people then go do? Those who stayed died, but those who fled, fled. Where'd they flee? Everywhere and anywhere. 
here's a great story. A correction, not story. Here's a great uh, metaphor or example. Pretend you are a bad guy. So it's that's easy to easy, something that's hard. <laughs> Pretend you're a bad guy. And there's ten people you're supposed to go kill. Now, let's put them all together in a group holding hands. How hard is your job? Not. They're all right there. They're easy targets. It's really easy to kill them. Because they're all together. Uh, a simple task. Kill them all off. It's all one event. All finished. Now it's for the same bad guy, same 10 people, and scattered them throughout the globe. How much harder is that? It's a whole lot harder. Not 10 times harder. It's thousands of times harder, isn't it? Now let's put this in this context of this dragon and the woman. The woman of the children of Israel, right? The ones who gave birth to Messiah, the, the, the Jews, some argue Jews in particular, but some argue Israelites in general. If they're all located at one location, one spot, how easy is it for our army to come and attack and wipe them out? Easy. On the other hand, scatter them throughout planet Earth. Every nook and cranny, every area there was, half of them, three quarters, ninety of them don't even know who each other are, scatter them about. How hard is it to find them, to kill them all off? Very, very hard, isn't it? Makes it more difficult. Is it impossible? I wouldn't say it's impossible, but near to it. So how hard you try, you won't succeed. Same principle is a fireman in a firefight. Let's say there's a 10-acre blaze in front of you and you're one man. Go put it out. Here's your shovel. I'll give you a fire extinguisher too. Good luck, right? Now I'll make this 10-acre blaze. 10 acres scattered over 1,000 miles. Acre here, acre there, quarter acre there. Go put them out. How hard is that? We argue, well, obviously it's impossible. You can't do it. You can't be everywhere at once. So the solution to hide people isn't to conceal them. The solution for God to hide people is to scatter them all over the place. Make them here and far away in different spots. You cannot gather them together. So this is a past event. This vision he's seeing right now is a past event. The woman that she's been... It fled into the wilderness, scattered about. So all of Israel has been scattered about for 2,000 years. Scattered about the whole globe. Thailand, U.S., South Africa, the whole world has bits and parts of Israel scattered about them. Some biologically Jewish, some different tribes, makes a difference. They're all scattered about. You can't destroy them. You can't find them. You can't locate them all. It's not possible. You'll get a group that came really close. The ones in Germany, World War II, right? Got a whole bunch of them there, but then try to kill a whole bunch of them off. But even then, many of them scattered and fled and scattered about the world again. You still were unsuccessful. So you could not take care of it because the way of concealing them is to scatter them out. You can't find them all. It makes it impossible. Needle and haystack pro- problem? Yeah, but you don't have water or fire to burn the haystack away. You have to work out hemp straw by straw. It's not that easy. So, we have, so this, 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 the nature in which this, this took place as far as how she was scattered was this method. It was very, very, very effective. And that's just history, what happened, past tense. But that just took place as far as here on earth, as far as this woman in Israel. But then there's another problem. This dragon has his issues. So he's, he's angry as far as not being unsuccessful in killing the child and unsuccessful in killing off Israel. So what's he turning his attention to? Back up to heaven. 
A war broke out, verse 7 of chapter 12. A war broke in heaven. Michael's angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out. The serpent of I heard a loud voice deceive the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation, strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of the Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the habits of the earth and the sea. The devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows his t- he has a short time. So after being unsuccessful taking care of wiping out Messiah, unsuccessful in wiping out the children of Israel, the recipients of the promise, he turns his attention toward heaven. Of course, what does heaven do? Now, Messiah, uh, uh, Satan's job is a continuous acu- accusation. We learned that from in, in, uh, in Zechariah. In Zechariah 3, we discussed that his job is to accuse each person, individual, sin list. You got your scroll, you got my scroll. Here's our list of all things we've done wrong every day, all people we offended unnecessarily. And go before God and say, see, this person deserves correction. See, this person deserves correction. That's his job. That's his functionality. We got that from Zachariah's imagery for when, when it talks to about the high priest. He is no longer allowed to do that. So his inability to make those accusations gets him angry. He, of course, was a war, and of course, he's now cast down. But unfortunately, he's cast down to here. What does the master of all lies do? They lie. <laughs> that's, a master, that's what they did. They lie. And what is the one thing humans like to hear? Lies. <laughs> we love lies. The better the lie, the more we want to hear it. The greater the story could be, the more fantastical the scenario is. We believe it, we'll, like, we'll love to hear it. So he's very good at that. So of course, he's cast here to lie to us. What's our job? Overcome him. Where the points here? The blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony. They do not love their lives more than death, or over death, to, the, to the death, that is. That's our job. That's our function to, to resist him. But when he's down here, so all these events have been taking place or have taken place. Some argue have. I, I argue the first six verses did. That's a past tense event. Uh, verse 7 through uh, 12, you can argue, you can debate whether that's a past tense or a current event. I don't know. But the 13 onward appears to be more of a future event or could be active event today. Verse 13, it says that when the dragon saw he had been cast the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle, and she might fly to the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time, times and half a time, for the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after one, that he might cause to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood with the dragon and spewed out of his mouth. The dragon was enraged the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of the God and have testimony of Jesus the Christ, the, the anointed one. So my personal opinion, this is verses 7 through uh, 12, is probably a past tense event, but I can't swear to it. Uh, verse 13 and 17 is probably an active or a modern day or continue, continuing cycle event. That's my personal damage's opinion, so I can't say it's right or wrong. That's just what I happen to perceive. And I know that some people have interpreted these events. The reason I say that is because uh, he's making war against their offspring, which is a continuous cycle, a continuous process. And who are the offspring? Have the testimony of God and of Jesus the Messiah. So they have the instructions of God, how to live. As when God, of course, through Moses, we have that. And of course, Messiah, of course, figures of sins as far as that testimony the Messiah gave. 
So we have this, this, these individuals who is enraged with or has the most amount of offense against. You can debate what it is. I don't know. I can't say for certain how it all ends. I'm going to end real quick here with one last symbol to point out to you. You will note that both the Messiah has, obviously, God has his instructions how to do things, but the devil has counterfeits of everything, right? If the best lie is the ones that are embedded in truth, they have bits of truth in them, and they manipulate the truth to make it into a complete lie. That's the best type of lie. So we know we look for two witnesses, right? Chapter, uh, that, that, that was came from uh, the two witnesses of, of trumpet number six. Well, just like there are two witnesses of God, there are also two witnesses of Satan, right? The beast and the, of the earth and one of the sea. So he has his own counterfeit version of what we look for as well. Much like he has his own counterfeit, they call him the anti-Messiah, anti-Christ, the counterfeit of everything. So we're looking for things, looking, observing these trumpets, or looking for events and world events. Note that there will be things from God and there will be things from the adversary. Both of them may overlap in appearance, but one is manipulated in truth and one's manipulated in lies. Hollywood social media, good job. <laughs> so they're designed to manipulate or twist your worldview continuously. And what's the one thing you don't want to do? Don't let go of God's instructions through Moses and the forgiveness Messiah gives you. Don't let go of those things. If you let go of either one of them, you're going down. You will be deceived by one thing or another. You'll be manipulated and twisted or, or, or altered in your path. We don't want that. Hold to both. And it won't matter what trumpet sounds, what event goes around you, whatever it is, as Solomon gave, put your hands together. <laughs> Whatever pray you can think of, whatever words come out of your mouth, may God hear them as long as they're sincere about it. He's not even being stickler about what language it's in. <laughs> he doesn't even care. He did say toward the temple, so I guess you could argue, but this doesn't exist anymore. But, so we would say argue to, 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 to God or to Messiah in some ways. But you can still argue to the east for the temple. But the nature of the trumpets is designed to, to these, are, these are events of warning, of events of occurrence, of things happening or will be happening in your life or my life or in our past lives. I mean, not, my, not like reincarnation, but as far as past history of, of, of generations before us, we have already experienced some of these. But be aware of them. They are active events. And you will also note that there is no time cycle given between one trumpet and the next, is there? It doesn't say 10 minutes later, trumpet number four was at it. Then 15 minutes of that, trumpet number five was at it. It doesn't say that, does it? It can be days, months, generations, millennia. I don't know. Most authors have pointed out the book of the seals, the trumpets, that they in many ways have been being fulfilled ever since the day Messiah died. Major world events took place in the Middle East following his death that transferred massive amounts of power back and forth and massive need for trumpet number one to happen or similar things did happen. So many authors have pointed out that well, it's not that we're waiting for trumpet number one to happen or seal number one to happen, but it may have been happening all along. And each generation has been experiencing one of or more of these things during their time. So it's totally possible. I don't know. I can't swear to it. I don't understand it. I'm not going to pretend to understand it. These are what, these are what we look for when we discuss our trumpets. Um, I think I will stop there. So I'm not going to go into the, 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 the wings of the eagle or the two beasts anymore. Uh, but I do point out this is based in the Middle East. 
because uh, the one of the references here is Messiah has to st- he's standing on Mount Zion during some of the, during some of these events. This is a Middle East event. This is, happens in, in real time there as opposed to here. So don't focus upon what happens in the United States. I'm saying you shouldn't pay attention. <laughs> focus on what happens in the Middle East. That's where your center of attention should be when it comes to trumpets. If you want to look past that, great. There's lots of seals to look through, and that will take care of, obviously, most of the rest of the world. Any questions or comments regarding the Book of Trumpets, oh, sorry, the Feast of Trumpets, and we covered today. Now, there's a lot of stuff we, we rattle off and ran through pretty quickly. Any comments or questions or issues? Say again? Wait, Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> so the Eagles wings, I, I didn't cover that too much because the woman gets, gets given Eagles wings. Uh, she's asking what the, what the Eagles were. Uh, it's also a reference to uh, the, 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 the ex of Egypt, of course, wings of an eagle. But in particular, the flood uh, that she's fleeing from Isaiah explains that's an army that's coming through to attack her. Uh, so uh, that's Isaiah 59 discusses that. It's a process of being lifted up last second before the army sweeps you out and takes and kills you, and, and you're carried from there to a safe location. So that's, that's Isaiah 50, 59 discussed that uh, as far as what that looks like if you want to know what her, the wings of an eagle reference to is for which she's given a pair of wings to fly, um, that the army is, 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 is gone through and of course, the difference of the earth stopping it was Korah. The earth opened up and swallowed him. So the army is stopped not through force, but through death. The army is killed not via you know, arms and swords and bullets and, and missiles, but an abnormal event occurs and they die. A strange event happens and they just perish. Which is reference, of course, which the, the, the prophets you talk about about and so the army comes up and the flesh melts off their bodies. It's, it's, it's a really gross event. But there's a lot of events discussed as far as how he delivers them. We, don't, we won't go into all that. We don't have time to do that. Any questions or comments? All right, we'll conclude, conclude with a prayer then. Almighty God, thank you, Father, for our Feast of Trumpets, our day of great blasts of sounds and blowings. We hear your voice, Father, for they are your words that you speak. May we listen to them well and pay attention to what they have to say. For your words are good words, the words that tell us how we are to live, what we are to expect, and what we are not to fear. As long as we follow your way of life, your instructions through Moses on how to live, and trust your Messiah's forgiveness of our mistakes when we fail, we know, Father, we are safe in your hands. We ask you to bless us throughout of our time together. We praise you and thank you for our blessed Holy Day appointments. We praise you in Yeshua's name. Amen. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at halel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Halel.info. Halel.info.